Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the scenes of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans they help finance. I'm Maura Weber-Sadovi, and I'll be hosting today. Welcome to this segment of ABS in Mind. It's Thursday, February 25th, 2021. And today we're going to get a great overview of the CMBX 6 index from my guest, Dan McNamara, a principal with MP Securitized Credit Partners. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. For listeners new to it, CMBX 6 was once a fairly arcane index of 25 commercial mortgage-backed securities containing pools of commercial real estate loans originated in 2012. The index caught investors' attention, you might even say caught on fire, due to its comparatively heavy exposure to retail mall collateral, B&C malls, and most recently, the pandemic's acceleration of retail distress. Along the way, it's picked up a roster of investors ranging from you guys, MP, to Carl Icon, as well as um, it's picked up some catchy nicknames, the Next Big Short, the Dead Mall Short, and even the Coronavirus Short. But uh, whatever its name, you and MP have been a very public face of the CMBX sex short play, um, both in the mainstream press and on Twitter. And uh, so I'm, I'm really glad you're able to join us and share your perspective. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to do it. So uh, to start off, can you uh, talk a little bit about MP's history and the evolution of MP's uh, CMBX sex short position? Yeah, of course. MP is a is a hedge fund that invests uh, mainly in uh, all in securitized products, uh, mainly in CMBS right now, also in RMBS and ABS over the years as opportunities arise. We were founded in 2008, actually at Front Point Partners, which was made famous by uh, Steve Eisman in the Big Short uh, in the RMBS and subprime markets. The fund uh, is was founded by Mark uh, Rosenthal and Noel Savarese in 2008 at Front Point, and uh, over the years. Uh, you know, it moved from 2008 to 2011. It was a front point. 2011, it moved to Matlin Patterson, hence the MP name. And then in the last two years, we've been out on our own, um, separate from Matlin Patterson. So that's the yeah, that's the history of of, of MP. Right. And uh, oh yeah, I meant to say congrats on MP being named best structured credit hedge fund by Hedge Week uh, last year, right? Oh yes, thank you, thank you. That was a that was a nice uh, award. Yeah, so that's some uh, storied history with the with the big short in your your background there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some uh, uh, that's those are strong names. Yeah, Mark Mark and Noel are uh, are no uh, you know no strangers to uh, shorts um, as they uh, got kind of got their start at Front Point. They, they were in the book too, right? Or or the I yeah, I think Mark was. Yeah. Um, Mark was was. Uh, has been very close with uh, Steve over the years, and, and I think that was the connection. They were friendly before all this securitized products debacle started in 2008. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the, you know, how how you came into the CMBX 6 short, um, you know, the mm-hmm. evolution of that play and, and when you when MP got involved and, you know, maybe a little comparison to the 2008 shorts. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, we've uh, traditionally we invest uh, and we, you know, we traditionally lean long in securitized products, uh, CMBS and RMBS and ABS, as I mentioned earlier. 
we started to use CMBX as a hedge and thought that CMBX 6 was an interesting hedge back in 2017 and 18. We used it, like I said, as a hedge, and we still ran a long book of uh, other securitized products. But as the market got, you know, frothier and frothier and went up, you know, in dollar price, whether it's, you know, CMBS bonds or RMBS bonds, we, we began to dive deeper into the index and all 1,300 loans and 25 deals that backed the index. And we actually started to, to kind of form a thesis around the fact that due to the large retail exposure in CMBX 6 at the time, it was over 40% and specifically had about 17% in closed malls. We realized that, you know, the best opportunity actually was not being long any of these things, but actually being short CMBX 6. So, you know, the, the position grew over time in 2019, as, as all markets continue to rally in the mar- macro markets really were rallying, whether it be equities or high yield bonds. It became, you know, became our biggest position and, um, you know, our highest conviction trade. This was in the hedge fund. So at that time, you know, we had a 2019, we had a rough 2019 in the hedge fund. And we were looking for ways to put this trade on in other kind of vehicles. Um, you know, the hedge fund obviously is not, it's not always the best vehicle for a long-term trade like this. So we actually went out and raised a private equity style vehicle that would only short CMBX6. And we fast forward about six months by the time we got it up and running. And, you know, we were lucky enough to start it in February of 2020, um, which turned out to be pretty good timing, uh, considering uh, in March is when everything went haywire with COVID. Yeah. So only, so you had a vehicle only CMBX6 and, and which tranches? Uh, we were only shorting the double Bs and the, and the triple B minuses. Mm-hmm. And why just them? Uh, we just thought that, you know, given our underwriting, given where we saw terminal values, uh, we, we thought that the, the biggest downside was in the triple B minuses and the double Bs. Mm-hmm. I know some people express this trade also in the single A. Uh, for us, we kind of, you know, given the underwriting we've done and our expectations for future values, we actually don't see a whole lot of upside in shorting the single A. Um, even today, um, we still think that the, today we think that the, the, the best value in the short is actually still at the double B level. So you got in at February 2020. That's when you made your your bets, or no? Yes, yeah, no. That's when we, we the bets. money. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's when we we were already maxed out in position sizing with the hedge fund. So uh, the money came in in February, towards the end of the month, actually, and uh, we put all our our shorts on then, and kind of the rest is history. That the fund, which was supposed to be a maturity of three to four years, actually, we only lasted three months. Wow. So why only three months? It exceeded uh, uh, even our most bullish estimates for returns over the course of three to four years. It did that in three months. So we decided that it was best to wind the fund down. It, it had achieved hundred and roughly 120% return for our investors, to net to our investors. So we thought it was best to, um, to take that down. We also started to unwind some of the shorts in the hedge fund at that time. You know, Double B6 had gotten all the way down to 40 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So while we thought it had ways to go, we realized that, you know, markets are very volatile. The government was going to step in. So so we wanted to take some of the positioning off, even though we realized that, you know, our expectations are that double B6 terminal value will be in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So that fund, what was the name of it? Uh, it it's gone? It's gone. Yeah. It's, uh, it was just called the MP Opportunity Fund. It was just a private equity style vehicle that just held these shorts and uh, was liquidated in um, the end, by the end of May. At 120% profit for your investors? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, but are you still in? Are you still in the... 
the yeah. Trade. So you know, as With, like I said, how? the market. Yeah, the markets have you know rallied uh, significantly from last summer all the way till today. Um, double B six, for example, which we think is the best opportunity, that's gone from the low forties all the way up to the high fifties. So as it's rallied, you know, and as we've continued to f- monitor the fundamentals, the, the fundamentals have actually gotten a lot worse uh, and, and, and a little bit quicker than we even thought. So we've con- we started to leg back into our, our shorts in the double B space and, and CMBX6, uh-huh. um, ex- fully expecting that over the next one to two years, we think that the terminal value on something like this is into the 20s. So we think it's still, it's kind of back to the timeline has now been shortened. So our negative carry on the trade is a lot less. And, you know, it seems like every remit cycle, every month, um, there's another mall that's either going into special or being foreclosed upon or being liquidated. And in reality, you know, when we started this, we had a, a negative view on the regional mall space, but but it's actually become a lot worse than even we thought. Huh. And why? Obviously, the easiest answer to that yeah. question is e-commerce. You know, e-commerce yeah. was a about a year ago, estimates were about 15% of all shopping was e- e-commerce. You know, post-COVID, people are saying that's probably more like the mid-20s. But if you think about mid-20s, you know, there's still a ton of growth. I don't know about you, but, you know, I haven't been in a department store outside of visiting some of these CMB at six malls in years. Um, and more and more uh, of the things that we buy are all online. So, you know, I just think it's an outdated model and specifically the enclosed regional mall space and mm-hmm. the lower quality malls. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just think it's, it's a space that's going to shrink. I don't think this is cyclical. I think we're in a, you know, the regional malls are in secular decline and, you know, they're massively over levered with non-recourse financing. And if you listen to any of the, the quarterly conference calls, whether it be Brookfield or Simon the strong, the largest small sponsors are giving the keys back and they will continue to give the keys back because it's non-recourse financing. So I just don't see an end to this anytime soon. It just feels like a negative feedback loop where it's just going to get worse and worse. And there's no financing for the mall space right now. Uh, the CMBS market is basically closed to the regional mall space. You know, there's been a couple small deals of higher quality malls, but you know, for the most part, a lot of the LTVs on these existing malls in CMBX6 are well over 200% LTV. So mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, the CMBS market will be financing these anytime soon. Yeah. But given uh, all that, why are the triple B and double B prices, you know, ticking up? Why have they rallied given there, there is a certain, certainly a lot of, a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of store closures this year and, not that many people are going to stores uh, as, 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 as many as they used to. Why are those tranches still rallying? Yeah, no, I think that has a lot to do with the macro backdrop. You know, the government has, the Fed specifically has come in and, and, and said they will do whatever it takes. Um, kind of taking one out of Mario, Mario Draghi's book in 2012. But yeah. um, everything has rallied. You know, CMBX6 itself has rallied, uh, you know, from... The double Bs, like I said earlier, were low 40s. Now they're the high 50s. But that being said, they've massively underperformed everything else. I mean, high yield bonds are back under 4%, or at least they were until the rates fell off the last couple of days. Uh-huh. Uh, but CMBX6, while it's rallied, it's, it's, it's underperforming because there's serious credit risks to a lot of these bonds. So, you know, it's fundamentals are getting worse. Yes, the prices are actually have gone up in the last six months. But you know, we expect that to reverse course as the maturity 
maturities of the majority of these malls are, are actually coming um, in the next 12 months. So um, whether keys come back before maturity or at maturity, I think that, um, you know, the special services are going to be very busy liquidating malls over the next year or two. Mm-hmm. So do you see that 20 price for the, um, that's for the double B by the end of the year? No, I mean, it's tough to say, right? Because you have technicals, uh, trading technicals, and if, you know, the Fed can somehow prop up the high yield and equity markets, it may take a little bit longer. If the keys come back on a lot of these deals at maturity, it, you know, it takes some time to work through these liquidations. Uh, we've seen, we just had a very large CMBX6 loan, Town Center Cobb, down in uh, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. That went REO, but that was only the third of 39 malls in the index to go REO. Uh-huh. So there's still a lot of wood to chop from an actual from when losses come through, uh-huh. but the idea that it just takes losses until you get paid, you know, isn't necessarily the full picture. You you actually this index trades on a daily basis, so you have mark to market like we talked about last year. Yeah, you also have shortfalls. So as these malls become go to special servicing, they have to get appraisals. So once they get appraisals, you then see if the malls appraise below its um, debt you'll actually see shortfalls to the index. And that's that's happening at the double B level. It hasn't really happened at the minus level yet. But double B6 coupon used to be 5%, and it's down to about 4.5 right now. And you know we see that dropping significantly over the next 12 to 18 months, as low as 1% to 2%. So that reduces the cost of carrying the short? Exactly. And, and really, that's been the biggest pushback against our trade over the last couple of years is that you know, a lot of people, especially in a bull market, don't want to pay for protection. Yeah. You know, our view was that the protection was cheap, but, you know, not, it's difficult to be short because every day you walk in and, and you're down money because you're paying for protection versus collecting carry. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a harder position to hold, especially long term. But it's, you know, something that given the, given our expectations for terminal value of these indices, we think it's, it's one of the most interesting trades out there still today. I was going to ask about the if anybody's getting squeezed out or, or are they simply taking profits? Cause the outstanding net notional value of the CMBX six triple B's and double B tranches, I think they've declined in recent months, seeming to show some people are taking off shorts, right? Absolutely. So the, you know, the open interest, I think it's down over a billion in minus sixes and double B's it's down about 300 million. From so, when? you know, from, from, uh, in, in the last six months, Yeah, yeah. you know, but a lot of that is it's a function of longs and shorts. So, the longs are very concentrated and with a couple uh, mutual funds, uh, which is you know well publicized. And the shorts are concentrated, probably you know more than just a couple, but there are a bunch of hedge funds that have these shorts on, whether they're hedges or or long term trades for them. But I think what you're seeing as the markets have rallied, you have some of these hedge funds who are willing to kind of lock in profits that they've made over the last year. And on the other side, I think, you know, the clearly the longs, because it takes <laughs> it takes two to tango or two for an open interest to actually decline. You've seen a lot of the longs, you know, reduce their position in size. Whether that's a view post-COVID that, you know, this wasn't the right trade or it's just, you know, just to reduce risk because these position sizes were very large. Mm-hmm. So like who's in and who's out? There's some big names that go on CNBC and things like that. Um, <laughs> like Carl Icahn, yeah. is he still in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I think Carl's been very public about his position. And, uh, you know, he, he has billions upon billions of this trade on and I can't speak for him. But, you know, when you get to a certain size, you can't really just unwind the trade. So if you have m- multiple billions on, whether it be short or long, 
it, it's very difficult to get out. Uh-huh. Um, so my guess is he's given the, the movement and open interest. I think the largest short, he's probably the largest short out there and I doubt he's taken any off, but you know, it's, it's always tough to tell. Um, and clearly on the long side, it's, you know, there's two mutual funds, Putnam and Alliance Bernstein. And, um, you know, that's public information cause they have to publicly report their holdings. So, um, those are the two guys that are the biggest longs in CNBX six and, whether it's, uh, you know, it seems like everyone's kind of dug in at this point and we're just kind of waiting for fundamentals to play out over the next year or so. Have you seen anyone squeezed out, like cl- shutting their doors because they can't, you know, carry No, out? I mean, in, in, in 2019, you know, we, there were definitely a couple of hedge funds, unfortunately, that, that got caught short. You know, we had a rough 19, but we made, luckily we made it through. But, you know, there were a handful of funds that didn't. And, and, and I think the CNBX short, you know, really cost them and, and they're actually shut their doors. But in 2020, you really haven't seen, you haven't seen any of that, you know, obviously there's been a little bit of the squeeze, but we're talking a lot less and, and, and the majority of the people were giving back a little of their previous gains earlier in the year. So. Mm-hmm. Wait, you're talking a lot less about in what way, what do you mean by that? Well, just the absolute price move, you know, the index went, the double B index went from the beginning of 2020 at 88 and a half cents. It went down to 40 and it's only back up to 57 today. Oh, I get Um, it. Okay. Yeah. So, so the absolute price move hasn't, you know, caused a lot of pain. And again, these are the majority of the people have been short for the whole year. So they had a lot of profits in the first half of the month, uh, first half of the year. um, And then obviously gave some back towards the end of 2020 and early 21. You're still in, in, in a significant way, MP? Uh, yeah, it's still our largest position. You know, we, again, we, we think that time is on our side at this point because we're, we're, you know, we're seeing these liquidations. We're seeing these appraisals come in. The maturity is the maturity walls coming up in CNBX6. So and the cost of carry is going down and the cost of carry will continue to go down. I think one interesting thing about the double V index is that we don't think it's going to zero. In fact, we think there are about four or five really clean CMBX six deals that will pay off. So, and a lot of people think that that's a negative, but we actually think it's a positive because if mid 2022, you have four or five of these deals pay off, I don't have to pay insurance. I don't have to pay a coupon payment on those deals. So that's, you actually have the fact that some of the clean deals are going to go away is actually going to be a positive for the cost. The effective cost of carrying the short is actually going to drop off a cliff. You're going to have the really dirty deals that are liquidated quickly you're going to have the, the four or five really clean deals, which will just pay off. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be left with your your effective coupon on the short. It's going to be a lot less than it is today. Is that why you're sticking with CMBX6? Is there any reason uh, or is there any interest in MP? Uh, are you starting to look at the other indexes? I mean, we're, we're always looking at the other indices. I mean, traditionally, we are um, long CMBS cash bonds and, and short CMBX6. We will trade other indices traditionally from the long side um, because we just we haven't seen another index be as attractive from from a short perspective. And, and a lot of that, you know, CMBX nine, for example, that that got a lot of press probably the third or fourth quarter of last year for having the most hotel exposure. But uh-huh. but to be honest with you, you know, it traded at that time roughly right around where Double B six did and. You know, you weren't talking about a lot more exposure than CNBX six. You know, CNBX six has ten percent exposure to hospitality. CNBX nine had fifteen percent. So 
in reality, you know, it's it's uh, CMBX six post COVID isn't all about the regional malls at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly that's what's going to cause the largest losses and have the lot highest loss severities. Mm-hmm. But you have a lot of other things in CMBX six, which in this new environment in in commercial real estate where there, there's so much stress, you know, in hospitality today. You know, what is office space going to look like a year forward, two years forward, as some of these leases roll or as um, some of these larger tenants um, decline to pay rent. Um, so, you know, I think that as a commercial real estate hedge or, or, or short, CMBX 6 still provides the best opportunity to you know, hedge a, a commercial real estate long, whether that be in securities or actual real estate. What does, if the, many of the loans are maturing in 2022, does that mean this is the final year, uh, full year for CMBX 6? Uh, no, I mean, I there is actually still some legacy CMBX hanging around, but this, you know, when CMBX six will fully be done, it's going to take a couple years for sure, because you're going to have a lot of delinquent loans that need to work its way out. But I do think that 12 to 18 months, the majority of the price movement and the majority of the fundamentals will have played out and we'll have a much better idea of what the actual terminal value of these individual tranches are. When will it be clear whether the, I mean, sort of been pitched maybe too simplistically as shorts versus longs, who's going to win this, but is it going to be clear in the end at some point who won? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it'll be very clear at some point, wherever the terminal value of the index is, you know, and obviously everyone has their own price point, right? You know, we, we didn't really start shorting this thing heavily um, until the eighties, but you know, so for us, you know, if you look at it over the life of the trade, if it, if it, if we're correct and it ends up terminal value in the 20s somewhere, you know, it would be clear to us that we had the right trade on. But again, it's going to take, it's going to take the next 12 to 18 months until we really have a better grasp of, of where terminal value is and where, you know, how these fundamentals have actually played out. Um, the daily mark to mark, you know, that's nice when you get a sell off if you're short or when you have a rally when you're, you know, like in 2019 when you're long. But fundamentals in the end is what's going to decide where this thing goes. It's not, it's not going to have anything to do with trading technicals or, you know, the large buyer on the long side or a large seller on the, on the short side. And what are the key gauges that will indicate that this year? Like, what are you watching about which way it's going? We're just watching every month, you know, the 25 deals, specifically, you know, the, the 20 Harrier deals that we would say that, you know, we're expecting some distress. I mean, the, the index itself, just to, get back to the malls, the index has 39 malls, 32 of the 39 are already impaired. There's only seven malls that are actually been current the entire time on the index. So, you know, the, the clearly there, there's going to be a, a, a lot more bumps in the road in CMDX6 from a fundamental perspective. There's going to be more loans that are going to be foreclosed upon and eventually liquidated. There's going to be more modifications that need to be done if the current sponsor wants to hang on to, to their mall. You know, whether that becomes hope notes, we don't know. Discounted payoffs are a possibility. The unfortunate thing for the malls are that there's not a lot of institutional capital chasing them at this point. So the lack of financing and the lack of institutional capital, there's there's just really no one showing up with a $50 million check. Yeah. So until that happens and until people can project uh, future cash flows for some of these regional malls and also project which ones are going to be around in five years, it's it's really difficult to say when this kind of death spiral for some of these malls is going to stop. Yeah. To your point, we saw the Las Vegas mall, the CMBX6 
fashion outlets of Las Vegas, now Prism outlets, get a final bid of, of just $1.5 million at auction. Uh, I think that was last month. How many of the other remaining malls in those 32 do you think are going to be you know, liquidated like that or sold at similarly sized losses this year? Currently, there's only three REO assets in CMBX 6. So it's okay. fashion, as you mentioned, in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, th- sorry, three malls of the 39. Um, you've got um, Salem Center, which is another mall. It's, it's a smaller mall. It's only a $30 million loan. Mm-hmm. But that's been that was foreclosed upon in 2018. So I would expect any month now, Salem Center to come up because by reremic rules, you actually have to sell the asset after three years. So um, it's been about three years for Salem Center. And then, as I mentioned before, Town Center Cobb, which is a much larger loan, it's a $180 million loan, was appraised at $320 million back at issuance. Um, Simon walked away from that mall a few months back, and it's now going REO. Um, that actually, that mall split up into two different deals in CMBX 6. So the pain could be spread out amongst two CMBS deals. But, you know, that's a good example of, it's not going to be a dead mall. It's it's, it's just going to be, it's a massively over-levered mall. At no point will Town Center or Cobb ever be worth $320 million again. So, you know, the question is, what's the right value for a mall like that? You know, the anchors of, of, of Town Center or Cobb, for example, are Macy's, Belk, and JCPenney. You've got two of the three current anchors that are bankrupt, and then you've got two dark anchors, which are Sears and Joseph A. Bank. So, you know, that being said, it's 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. You know, it's it's probably a B mall. I think it will exist. It's just, you know, is the right value for a mall like that that used to be worth 320 million bucks? The right value might be 50 or 40 million. Yeah. And, and really, the pain is going to be felt by the CMBS investors. They're the ones that are going to have to take the loss from a 180 million dollar loan down to the new clearing level, which is, you know, probably close to $50 million. We're getting up to the end of our time. I just want to step back a little bit. There's been increased scrutiny of uh, shorting in the wake of what happened with GameStop. Um, just wondering, there were there was a lot of chatter for a little for a bit. What is the impact or is there any impact or concern about regulation that might affect CMBX6 or, you know, the indexes? Yeah, it's definitely a question that's come up, um, you know, since GameStop, you know, I thought we were done with GameStop and then GameStop went crazy again uh, in the last 24 hours. Yeah. But, you know, luckily the CMBX <laughs> has barriers to entry. You need an ISDA. It's all institutional investors. I don't have to really monitor the Reddit boards uh, to see if someone's going after the CMBX six shorts. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, I, I don't think it really changes anything. You know, GameStop fundamentally, they're in almost every mall. Yeah. Um, GameStop, the reason why the stock's going up outside of the craziness of the retail investor piling into for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I don't think that fundamentally it's going to change their business plan. Their business plan is that they brought in somebody, they brought in the founder of Chewy to take their business online. So the GameStop thing is actually kind of interesting from a fundamental perspective of CMDX6 in the regional mall space is that the reason that this fundamental belief sits there with being long GameStop is because GameStop is going to take its business online. It's exactly what the guy from Chewy, the founder from Chewy did with, with, with Chewy. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't really think it matters at this point. The, all the CMBX investors on the long and short side are institutional investors. So. Mm-hmm. And what if they drove up the REIT mall, REIT mall stock? Would that you know, and sort of made it so they didn't have to sell or liquidate? Is that like a far-fetched possibility 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because this is a very yeah. It's it's. I mean, listen, they they definitely drove up Mace Rich stock, but yeah. and Mace Rich tried to. I don't know if they actually completed an at the money offering, but you know, they were hoping to raise some money into that. I don't really think it matters from a CMBX per six perspective because this is really a property by property analysis and not really a corporate level um, analysis. But you know. I mean, I guess you can look at the sponsorship. The weird thing is people talk about sponsors and good sponsors versus bad sponsors in in CNBS. And the fact that you have a good sponsor, it's a positive. But the weird thing about the mall spaces, the stronger sponsors are the good sponsors like Simon and Brookfield. They're the ones that are handing the keys back. It's the CBLs, Washington Primes and Pyramids. They're the ones that are holding on for dear life. And, and, and the reason is obvious is that that their entire business is this regional B and C and D mall space. So for them to pivot to higher quality malls or strip centers or other things in retail, it's just not possible, right? Simon has a lot of other businesses. They bought some, you know, some retailers. Uh, Brookfield is the same. Um, they have a diversified business, but you know, the lower quality sponsors are the ones that are actually trying to hold on for dear life. I mean, trying to hold on every mall. So in reality, I don't, I just, it's a long winded way to say, I don't think GameStop or AMC or um, Mace Rich, any of the, on any of these short squeezes are actually any relevant to CNBX at all. Yeah. That's interesting though. It's counterintuitive. Who's uh, holding on. (laughs) Definitely in the mall space. You know, I, I think it's true. The strong sponsor, you know, in the hospitality space, for example, given the fact that it, you know, we do think, you know, once, Everyone is vaccinated. Obviously, um, occupancy at, at these hotels will go up. Um, mm-hmm. So we think that while there will be stress on hospitality going forward due to the fact that business travel may never get back to the levels of 2019 or anytime soon, you know, everyone's dying to go on vacation. So if you can get through this dark period, this dark COVID period, if you have this, you know, deep, deep pocketed sponsor, then then I think that, you know, that, that's a that's a real positive. But when you have a an industry or sector of commercial real estate like enclosed malls, it's in secular decline. I don't think it matters. And in fact, the savvier sponsors are actually giving their keys back quicker. Finally, uh, I was just interested in sort of stepping back and asking about your sort of big worldview of retail. So um, you obviously represent, you're a big short, but you obviously live in a neighborhood and have stores you like to visit. Do you see, uh, and I personally, I don't know if I'm concerned about my local donut shop that's closing. (laughs) (laughs) I posted on Twitter, but I mean, uh, you know, there are retailers that we all hold dear. Uh, Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? for uh, brick and mortar retail? I mean, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's, it's very local and depends on your neighborhood. You know, clearly, like you said, you want to support your local shops. And, and, and I think a lot of people do. I mean, I know I do. It's one thing to order your you know, paper towels or you know, sneakers online, but it's another thing to go to your local coffee shop or local pastry shop. You know, it's, it's, it's a community feeling. So, I mean, I, there's definitely need for brick and mortar. It's just that it needs to be right-sized. And, you know, as much as it feels like we've pivoted away from brick and mortar to e-commerce, there's still a ways to go. You know, we're still somewhere in the mid-20s, 25% e-commerce. So, you know, I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. And I don't think this is all result, the result of COVID. I think this was going to happen. I think just COVID expedited the whole thing. 
So, you know, where that stops and what's the right equilibrium of e-commerce versus brick and mortar, I, it's impossible to say. Um, but I think it's a trend that's going to continue for the next few years. And, you know, hopefully the local businesses can bounce back and, and you know, it, it's tough. It's, it, it's, it's going to be a long road, but, you know, I'm, I'm not calling for the death of all brick and mortar. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try to end on an optim- optimistic note. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, I, I think we're going to ha- have to wrap it up here. But Dan, I, I really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for joining us today. This was great. Thanks a lot, Mara. Yeah, thank you. That's it today for ABS in Mind. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds and residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider DebtWire.com or tune in here to our podcasts. Also, look to us on social media. 